she said everybody in this waiting room, they were all just very quiet. They weren't saying anything, but they were communicating through thought. And she said, your dad didn't say anything to me, but he told me to tell you that he's waiting and it's almost his time. And just to let you know that he told me to let you know that he's going to be gone soon. He's going to pull away or that, that he's, he's not going to be in the waiting room anymore. Welcome to Soul Sisters Get Real, the show that goes deep in who we really are and why we are really here. We're your hosts, Karen from the States and Eleni from Australia. We've had heartfelt conversations as soul sisters for years, and we're ready to share our truths, stories, and life lessons with you. And to inspire you to connect to your truest essence, which resides deep within your soul. There'll be tears, there'll be laughter, and there'll be no holding back. So sit back, relax, and let's get real about the things that truly matter. So we have here one of my favorite people in the hypnosis world, Dan Kendall. Thanks for joining us, Dan. It is a pleasure to be here with the two of you. Thank you for having me come on. I know, I'm so excited. So let me tell you a little bit about Dan. Dan is known as the anxiety relief guy. He travels the world teaching successful entrepreneurs, executives, and innovators and leaders how to have more breakthroughs and breakdowns, right? Breakthroughs, then breakdowns, because that's what we want, right? Dan is a multi-award-winning hypnotist, author, podcast host, and speaker. I also know that Dan has like thousands of followers on TikTok. So we'll talk about that in a little bit also. But Dan's father passed away. And that's what we want to talk about a little bit is shortly after my son, Josh, passed away in the motorcycle accident, but Dan was the caregiver for a while. And it kind of changed his life and perspective on a lot of things. And we're here because, Dan, we would love to hear a little bit about how it changed your life and what that felt like for you or what that experience was. Absolutely. And thank you for asking. And, and also, I'm going to be very vulnerable on um, uh, in this space today. And these are things I, I don't talk about a lot. Um, I've started opening up more about them. Um, when I travel around, I, I've been doing a lot of keynote uh, presentations lately, and I just started opening up more about this and the evolution of how um, how it affected me and how profound it was. Um, so first and foremost, I lived a very, very busy life, and I was traveling all over the world. Uh, I was doing tours. I was doing comedy tours, comedy hypnosis shows. I was working with eight to 10 clients a day. I was doing group sessions. And um, I just gone through a really difficult breakup, moved into my own apartment. And uh, a few months after that, my dad was, um, uh, he had a progression of COPD and emphysema because he had smoked from the time he was seven years old. And when he finally passed away, he was 74. And he had stopped smoking a few years prior, but um, he had he had the progression of COPD and emphysema. He was on oxygen and the doctors had been telling him that he was going to, that he only had two years left to live. Now this was about four years ago. So he doubled the time that they had told him. Um, when he really started winding down, uh, 
I went to the doctors with him and they said, you have stage four lung cancer. And that's where I knew things really had to change. And I knew I could no longer travel the amount I was traveling. I could no longer see the amount of people that I was seeing. And I didn't want to because I wanted to be there fully present with him. Being his caretaker, um, I was there with him throughout every doctor's appointment. I was there with him throughout um, everything that he experienced. I was there with him. And I said to my dad, and I, I remember having this conversation with him. I said, Dad, you know, this, and my dad, by the way, he was my best friend. Like we had a very special relationship. He'd go on tour with me. He, and I, I'd say, run the camera, sit down, shut up. Don't say anything. Just, just run the camera. And he, so he would videotape a lot of my shows, but the shows you could tell when he videotaped because he'd try and turn the camera around. He'd be fumbling with it and you'd hear him in the background going, oh, fuck. <laughs> So, so, so everybody would always know when dad filmed a, filmed a show or a presentation that I was doing. Um, so I remember saying to my dad, um, and this was probably about a month or two before he passed away. I said, dad, look, I know this isn't the way that you want to spend time with me. I know this isn't the way that I want to really spend time with you, but I'm just really thankful that I really get to be here with you. And because of my dad, I made many shifts in my personal life and in my professional life. And instead of seeing six to eight people a day, instead of, and sometimes 10 people a day, instead of um, traveling all over the place, I decided to switch my business to mainly groups. And um, I was only working maybe two or three hours a week and still able to spend time with him. So... Around the course where he finally um, was really winding down, he made the decision to do palliative sedation and to go into a hospice facility, which is uh, four days before he died, they took him to a hospice facility. And I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. I'm like, I can't imagine having the last night in your house and waiting for the ambulance to come and get you and to bring you to this facility and just to be in that mindset of knowing like I'm going to die within the next probably week. And that night having the last, yeah, that was really powerful for me to, to realize and to come to terms with, he was coming to terms with it. Um, and just to show you the sense of like control he he wanted to have or sense of normalcy when the ambulance got there to take him because he was still cognitive he was still very aware and with it when the ambulance took him to uh, picked him up from his house to bring him to the hospice facility he he was on the phone with the cable company canceling his cable he was on the phone with a trash company to come in and pick up trash that he was going to leave behind he's like yeah i'm 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 dying i'm dying and we got to cancel the cable and and hey jimmy you know you got you got to take care of the trash and and you know i'm not going to be here next week so and just to hear him say that it made it real for me and it made it real for him and um Finally, when he went into the hospice facility, they they um, gave him a strong dose of, of morphine. 
And so um, Dan, can I, yeah. can I just stop you for a second? Yeah. I have a question. I just want to back up for a minute. As you're talking about this, even, even as you're telling this story, my heart, like I can feel it in my heart, right? Cause it's, it's such an emotional experience and you are known as the anxiety relief guy. We all yeah. know as hypnotists, hypnotherapists, we reach out to others based on our story and things we've struggled with ourselves, which you are very forthright about it. I've not been through that experience because my son was a very, uh, it was quick, you know, it was, right. it was a motorcycle accident. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience around how you manage through that really traumatic time when you've, and you've learned how to do it, but can you give us a little bit more on that? So maybe if someone is listening and maybe you can help them navigate that. Sure. Um, I had a very strong foundation of very close friends and I also went to therapy and talked to a therapist and, and a lot of people in our world and the the world of hypnosis and therapy just really supported me. The one word that I really had to embrace and that I really had to hold on to was acceptance. And my dad was a very anxious guy. People would joke like, oh, your dad needs your services more than anybody else. He was a very anxious guy. And I would try my best to help him accept his situation and also find the good in every day and manage, managing my own mental health. And this is what I could tell to, to caretakers. It is so important for you to make sure you still find time for yourself and that you still give yourself love and compassion and it's okay to dissociate. And I, I, think he'd be okay with me telling talking about this i had to change his commode his i his like basically like bedpan i had to um he was wearing um diapers in the end i had to help change him and he would and he was aware the entire time and what really helped me was to dissociate from that and to also laugh. And I'd hold my dad's bucket up as I was carrying it to the bathroom, like, oh, geez, dad, what did you eat? <laughs> and to laugh and to still have fun. And, and he'd, he'd look at me and he'd just go, oh, Jesus, Danny, so you have no idea how hard this is to watch you do that. Do I make it look difficult, Dad? I'm like, I'm carrying it from here to here. And I would do my best to be like sarcastic with him because that's kind of like a banter that we had. The really, and I, I still struggle with this. The day he made the decision to do palliative sedation, which is basically Massachusetts' way of saying legal suicide. I'm sorry, legal assisted suicide. The day he decided to go into that facility and to call them up and make the arrangements to do that, and he did not consult us or our family, the day he decided to do that, I was on the phone with my therapist, and I was outside of his house, and he had the TV on, and so I'm like, there's no way he can hear me. And my therapist asked, how do you feel? 
And I said, I feel stuck. I feel like I don't know when this is going to end and I don't want him to be in pain anymore. And I said, I just feel trapped. And right after I had that conversation, I went in and I said, hey, dad, want me, want me to make you some lunch? Because I, I need to talk to you about something. I said, what? He said, I don't want you to feel this way anymore. And I don't want to feel this any way anymore. And he said, he called me Danny. And there are only a few people in this world that I am okay with calling me Danny. And a couple of people have called me Danny that I'm not okay with that. And I'm like, and I, I ask people to respect that. And some people don't. They're like, no, I'm going to call you Danny because I like calling you Danny. And I, sometimes I get tough with people. I, I don't like that. Like that was my dad called me Danny. My dad's side of the family calls me Danny. I don't like you. Like you got to respect that. <laughs> so my dad said to me, well, Danny, I'm, I don't want you to feel. And he didn't use the word trapped, but he used a word like it. And that's where I felt so much guilt because I'm like, holy shit, he heard me. And, but I'm like, did he though? The TV was on. He, he was like sitting way back. And I'm like, there's no way the doors were closed. There's no way he could have heard me. And I, I still wonder about that to this day, if he heard me say that and if that influenced his decision. And, um, that, that's something I still struggle with. But to answer your question, Karen, I know I, I'm kind of rambling here. Acceptance is the number one thing that really I had to embrace to say, this is what my life is right now. This is what his life is right now. And yes, he's sick. However, we can still find good in each day. And I remember one day I said, hey, dad, what's what's something that you used to do when you were a kid? He's like, oh, I would always go to Revia Beach, Revia Beach in, in Boston. I'd go to Revia. I said, all right. So I literally picked him up, threw him over my shoulder, put his wheelchair in the car. We drove to Revere Beach for the day. And those are things that, and I have a picture of him and I sipping on margaritas <laughs> uh, on the beach. And that was one of the last times that he he was able to leave the house. So there was a lot. And I know this is a heavy topic for a lot of people. Caretakers forget to take care of themselves. And they put everybody else and everything else first. And we tend to do that as business owners, too. We want to put everybody first and be everything to everybody. And we can't. And I remember one time I got sick and I couldn't take care of my dad. And I had to have somebody step in and take care of him for me. And that was so painful. I'm like, why didn't, like, why didn't I take care of myself? So that's a time where I really started taking time to make sure I still take care of myself while I take care of my dad. And I love that. And acceptance, that's a big word. And we talk about that, you know, just accepting and being in the moment and appreciating the time that you do have, as opposed to worrying about the future, right? right? As we, we worry about the future, people tend to. And there are three levels that I think we live in life. And it's have to, choose to, get to. And those three levels, the reason why we're all stressed and depressed and anxious all the time, I think, is because so many people are living in that have-to phase of life, which is a really frantic place to be. And then 
we can release some of the have to and we approach the, okay, I choose to take this on. Um, like even when I was seeing a lot of people every day, I, I there were some people like I didn't really want to work with. I knew they were going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I chose to work with them anyway, knowing that mm -hmm. might go bass backwards. And then there's get to. And I always told my dad, I don't ever feel like I have to be here with you. I also don't choose to be here with you. I really feel like I get to be here with you. Yeah. That speaks so much to me, Dan, um, because I was in the hospital with dad, my dad, in his final month, I slept there in his room. And when you're speaking, I'm just transported right there. And I was feeling the honour of being the one that slept there every night. Yeah. Uh, my other siblings, if they ever wanted to come in, I was like, no, I'm here. And um, towards the very end, one of my other sisters said, Helen, I'm coming in and I'm staying there. And I said, well, I'm not leaving. So <laughs> so you can come in, but I'm not leaving him. And it felt like I get to do this. I get to be the one that holds his hand through the night. I remember one night um, I woke up and I saw dad just sitting up and his eyes were wide open in the middle of the night. And I said to him, dad, you're not sleeping tonight? And he said, no. And I said, well, I'm not sleeping either then. And I just sat by his bed and held his hand. And the only strength he had was in his left hand. And that left hand, he would hold me so tight and squeeze so hard. And it was like, what an honor. And also, I was also in gratitude because this was a tiny moment in time in lockdown. So I lived in the in the city that had the longest lockdown in the whole of the world, Melbourne. And we had this little window of time we were out of lockdown. And that was the time that dad was in hospital, the time that he passed. So I was so grateful that I could be there. If it was two months earlier, nobody could be there. He wouldn't have any human contact because people were in full gear. So I was so grateful of the hospital we were in, of the room we were in, of the circumstances I found myself in. And when you hold that gratitude, there's such a reverence in that. There's such a beautiful sacredness to that. Um, when you're talking, I'm feeling that's what you also received in those moments. It is the, the one thing I will always take away from the experience that he trusted and shared with me, his last words he ever said to me was, I love you too. And I will always remember that. And I will always hold that close to me. Mm -hmm. He, um, uh, he was a fighter. And I find like a lot of us who have the dads from this era were fighters. And they like defy the odds of science. And, and so many doctors um, said, like, he outlived our expectations and he went on his own terms. And he really did. At his funeral, the song we played was My Way by um, Frank Sinatra because he did it his way. And um, just all of these moments that I really got to share with my dad were really powerful and profound. And we would joke about things and I'd like for example one of the jokes I said to him because he was very conscious and aware of what was happening with him 
and he knew his time was very limited. So he would ask me, can you clean up my house, Dan? He said, Danny, can you please just go upstairs in my bedroom, just clean everything out and can, and you know, I don't want you to have to do that after I die. You're going to have a lot to deal with. You're going to have to plan the funeral and everything like that. I said, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, this is one. I was going to the beach one day and my dad said to me, Danny, take the beach towels. I have so many beach towels. Danny, take the beach towels. And I look at him and I was, Dad, stop talking to me about the beach towels. I said, you know what? After you die, you can come back and tell me again to take the beach towels and I'll take them then. And has that's he? Exact, that's exact. Yep, he has. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. So, <laughs> so, um, the, um, the the day of my dad's funeral after his funeral um i don't know why his it was his funeral and then um or i'm sorry it was the day after his funeral i decided oh i'm going to build a fire pit in my yard and when i get when i get stressed or when i get sad or or i direct those emotions what i think places uh, positive places for example Last week, I had a very stressful time with my mom and my brother. So over the weekend, I wrote an entire book about my experience of my dad and embracing acceptance. I wrote an entire fucking book. And I just talked <laughs> oh, to my man. therapist today, and she was like, you wrote a book since the last time I talked to you? No, no. I wrote a book in three days. So, <laughs> so as I talked to you two weeks ago, I wrote a book in three days. Um but after my, my dad passed away and we had his funeral, I was building a fire pit. And I went with my boyfriend, who's now my fiance. I'm like, we have to go to the store and get some firewood. And just clear as day, I heard my dad say, oh, I have firewood at the house. It's by the fence. Yep. And I said to my, my now fiance, I said, did you hear that? He was hear what? I'm like, I, just, I think we should go to my dad's house. So I went to my dad's house. And sure enough, there's a stack of firewood by the fence. And my boyfriend, he said, can you unlock the door? I have to go to the bathroom. And then I hear clear as day, my dad say, well, you're going inside. I have some more firewood. I put downstairs in front of the workbench, in the basement in front of the workbench. Now, I had been in front of the workbench a bajillion times that week because I was cleaning everything out. I did not see firewood anywhere. And I'm like, what the, what the hell is this? I go down in the basement. Sure enough, there's a stack of firewood stacked up in front of the workbench. I'm like, I have been down here in this exact spot 18 times this week. And this was not here. Um, so with the beach towels, I went into the basement. Um, this was a different day. I'm cleaning out his house. I was there with my aunt. Um, his bedroom was upstairs. Then we had the main level in the basement. So I go upstairs. I saw the beach towels and I saw a beach cooler. And um, I put them next to one another in his bedroom. And otherwise, other than the beach towels and the cooler, the bedroom was completely empty. So I'm like, ah, I'll, I'll forget about it. And, and after that day, I was going to have people come out and just clean out all anything else that we didn't take. So I go back down the basement and i i'm looking around there's so much stuff down there and i said i said out loud i said dad there's so much stuff here if you want me to take something you're going to have to give me a sign no more than 10 seconds after i said that there's this crash coming from his bedroom 
upstairs. And like, what the hell was that? And I went up to my aunt and I said, did you hear that? She goes, yeah. She goes, were you just upstairs? I said, no. I said, that's so weird. I said, were you just upstairs? She goes, no. So I go upstairs in his bedroom. The beach towels are taken out of the bag and they're thrown all over the bedroom and the, the cooler is knocked over. The beach cooler is knocked over. So I, I'm picking up the towels and I look up. I goes, fine, dad, I'll take the goddamn beach towels. I got the message. <laughs> Oh my god. Yep. They're powerful, so. aren't they? <laughs> oh. Incredible. Dad, I'm just curious though, like what before your dad passed, what were your beliefs around these kind of paranormal activities? Yes. So I am a very firm believer that we are energy. And energy mm -hmm. can't be created or destroyed, it's transferred. So I believed that his energy was going to go somewhere. Um, I am not a religious person whatsoever. I'm a spiritual person. And I think that my dad and like still to this day, I like still feel him. And I was talking to Karen about this in Chicago. We were talking about how sometimes we feel them like less and less and less as time passes by. And, but I still very clearly like hear him and sense him and feel him and um, my beliefs are that energy is transferred. It goes somewhere. And I believe that around that time, his energy stuck around because he didn't want to fully transition until he knew, like, okay, because that was the thing. He didn't want to leave me behind. And that was the right? whole reason why. Yeah. I was going to say, they do stick around to help us in that transition time. Uh, mm -hmm. Because they want to make sure that we're okay, right? Before they really kind of go away. And yep. and that's what you were experiencing. It, that's exactly what I was experiencing. And it was, so I had stayed with him and in the hospice facility. And they said he should have died two days ago. And we thought he was going to be there for a few weeks. He was there for four days. They said he should have died a few days ago. And um, I said, well, he's going to do it on his own time. And they said, well, you have to leave. And I said, what do you mean? They said, he probably won't die until you leave. So I said, okay. I said, I'll, I said, all right, I'll, I'll go say goodbye to him. I said, and they rolled him on his side. Now, my dad, his arm really hurt him. He had like a botched shoulder surgery. So his arm really hurt. They rolled him on that shoulder. And I knew he was probably in discomfort. But I knew that's where he had to be in order to finally let go. And I looked at him. I said, Dad, I'm going to go. I love you. I will see you tomorrow. I woke up at about 530 in the morning. And I said, I got to go see Dad. And I don't know why I woke up at that time. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay in bed for a few more minutes. They called me and they said, um, my phone, phone rang at, at about six o'clock in the morning. They said, your dad, um, just passed away 15 minutes ago. If you want to come up and see him, you can. So, um, I went up to see him and it was a very unsettling thing to see him like that. Um, 
I don't, I don't know how detailed or morbid you want me to get, but um, I guess they'll edit this out if this isn't appropriate. Um, they open the windows so that way they like spirit can go out the window. And um, when I went up there, I held his hand and like he was still warm. Um, his eyes were open. Um, his mouth was open. Um, he was wearing a watch. I, I said to the hospice nurse, I said, Hey, um, what the fuck do I do? And she said, just stay here for as long as you want. And, um, I see still wearing his watch. His eyes are still open. She, I said, do you want me to close his eyes? She goes, do you want his eyes to be closed? I, said, I don't know. We don't know. We don't know in those situations. I remember those questions, you know, like, do you want to come see Josh's body? Do you want, like, I don't know. Like, we don't think about what, what are we going to do in that situation? So, yeah. And Karen, I think about you a lot because, um, like losing, I think losing, I don't have kids. That's why I don't know. I can only imagine losing your kid is very different than losing a parent. And, um, and I, I think about you a lot. Um, so just for, take that for what it is. Um, thank you. We appreciate that. And, you know, I just believe that a loss is a loss and it's, it's tough. And you know, that, the crazy thing is, and Lenny, you can speak into this too, is that even though we still have a relationship with them and, and they throw be- beach towels all over, right? And they told <laughs> us to get firewood. And Josh told me to bring his, his ashes to the Nile, to Egypt. And I was like, what? Like, did I hear you correctly? You know, yeah. we have that kind of relationship. It's not the same. And so right. we, you know, we get to acknowledge like, yeah, it's beautiful to know their spirit, their energy is still here. but it's you know it's still it's not their body it's it's not the same and that's that physical presence I don't know about you Dan um but with myself and my dad we were very physical with each other like that's where I got the you know I'm a I hug people a lot I touch people a lot I'm very tactile and I got that from my father we hugged and kissed all my life and I just wanted to continue to hold him. And when I had, when I was really grieving through not holding him and not hugging him and not touching him and not kissing him, um, I w- I w- he would come in my dreams and I would feel him. And all I wanted to do in the dream, he wouldn't say anything. He just let me hold him, but he wasn't hugging back. He just let me hold him. And and then it was like, okay, I've got my fix now. I just needed to do that. I needed to get through that. And then I would feel all the love when I would wake up because I actually felt like I touched him. So I don't know whether that resonates with you in terms of the physical presence, even though we have this communication available to us and that we are open to receiving, that it's just this missing of the that touching I don't know if you can resonate. Yeah. Dan, do you feel your dad in, in your dreams? Oh, yes. In fact, I was just going to bring that up. So um, with with the, physical, with the physicality, I feel like a warmth a lot from him. Mm. And I know sometimes people say like in spirit, they feel cool. 
I don't feel cool at all. I feel warmth from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, every time I said, uh, every time we would like leave one another, he'd hug me, he'd give me a kiss, and he'd say, I love you. Um, and uh, he said, I really appreciate you, and I appreciate what you're doing. Um, my dad was cremated. And uh, we had like the services and, and he, he planned a lot of the services and, and he, um, uh, we had like the, the viewing, the services, and then they took him to the crematory afterwards. And I remember, excuse me, thinking like, this is taking a while for them to cremate him. And on a, um, Sunday night, uh, I'm sorry, Saturday into Sunday, Saturday into Sunday. I had a dream and I woke up and in the dream, my dad came to me and he was covered in flames and, or he like was like walking with flames and he's like, whoo, he's like, he goes, Danny, he goes, I am hot. He's, and he's like, but, um, he's like, it's get ready. It's done. Like, mm. I'm like, what? He said, get ready. It's done. Like, okay. And I woke up and I turned to my fiance. He's like, what happened? I said, my dad was just cremated. And he said, (laughs) he's like, what? And my fiance, he's very intuitive. He reads spirits and angels and guides, and he's very intuitive. And and even he looked at me and was like, (laughs) What? And I said, yeah. And I called a couple of my friends and I'm like, I had this really crazy dream. The very next day, Monday morning, the funeral home called me and they said, hey, Dan, uh, we just have a message for you. I said, I know. I said, what do you mean? I said, my dad was just cremated uh, yesterday. They said, how do you know? I said, he told me. Said, of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> if anyone, they knew my dad. So if anybody would, it would be him. <laughs> they said, okay. Yeah. So, and they said, exactly what he said they said okay so get ready because you're gonna have to plan the burial of his ashes so get ready i'm like okay it was i've had other people that had dreams about him too uh someone that was very close to him and very close to me it was actually a woman he was engaged to for a long time and she she helped out she helped him out a lot towards the end and she was with me a lot towards the end she had a dream that she was in a waiting room and my dad was in the waiting room. And she said, everybody in this waiting room, they were all just very quiet. They weren't saying anything, but they were communicating through thought and like through energy. And she said, your dad didn't say anything to me, but he told me to tell you that he's waiting and it's almost his time. And just to let you know that I told, that he told me to let you know that he's going to be gone soon or that he's going to pull away or that, that he's, he's not going to be in the waiting room anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because shortly after that is when I felt almost like a pull away of some of that energy that was there that was so strong in the beginning. After, shortly after that is when I, I felt a little bit of a detachment. I just had a dream two nights ago that I was at a yoga retreat in Japan and we were in the sand and Josh was there, my son, Josh. 
in the at the yoga retreat and he went to hug me and he was like hugging me really tight and he wouldn't let me go. And I said to him, why are you holding me so tight? And he said, because I want to keep you close, mom. Mm. And I it felt like he was there. Like yeah. it was amazing. Like I could see him. I could smell him. I could feel him. And uh, I hadn't had a dream like that in a long time. And it was it was just so reassuring yeah. to to feel him. Reassuring and comforting to know that you can still have that. And that's why it's so, you know, I, I feel sorry for people that, that don't believe that energy transmutes into anything else, that it just disappears when scientifically it's not possible for energy to disappear. Right, right. <laughs> like it has to go, it has to change into something. And, and it's a belief that's, that, that serves us. And so why believe something different? But right. I'm interested, Dan, you know, this was a huge event that happened in your life. And, you know, Karen and I went through the passing of someone that we loved dearly and it changed us, it transformed us, it elevated us. What's something that has completely changed in your perspective since the passing of your father? Oh, my gosh. The, the shift, I'll go back to acceptance. Um, acceptance and trust. Those two things. So... There are four words that I share with almost every single person who's going through what I was going through or who's had trauma or who um, even people like I work with a lot of executives and entrepreneurs and most of them have had trauma. That's why they're so good at what they do and they're so good at solving problems. And I did not have this and wouldn't have had this before the experience I had with my dad. Um, and the four words and the four things that I kind of have gathered from that, acceptance, trust, um, patience, and then release slash let go. And all of those things, my dad taught me both in the time that we spent together and also after his passing. And it's powerful. Yeah, I was going to say the untethered soul. I was just going through uh, the one chapter on death. And right in the beginning, it says death is the greatest teacher. And that's exactly what I'm hearing from you. That's so powerful. Yeah. 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 And there, it was just such an, an honor to be able to be with him in that time. And we really got close, we got closer in that time. And like I said to him, I know like this is not the time we want to be spending together, but this is what we have and we want to make the best of it. Um, I, and Eleni, I have a question for you because I, I've felt this before and I'm, and you were with your dad as well. Did you feel almost after his passing, did you feel almost like a relief? Yeah, because, um, and, it, and there was a lot of guilt with that. Yes. Because, be, you know, when you know they're going to pass, you're almost in this like middle world where it's like you want them to stay because you want to hold their hand for a little bit longer and you want to feel their skin. And you want to talk to them, even if they can't talk back. Yep. And you want all that, but you also 
feel like it's really, really difficult to be in this stage and you know that you're also waiting for him to pass as well. So it's like this in-between stage that feels really uncomfortable. And when you said patience, that's what came to me. It's like, yes, you also need to be patient that that the soul will pass when the soul has decided to pass. In your instance, I know some souls prefer their loved ones to be with them and others prefer them not to be with them. In my case, um, we knew the evening that he was going to pass and I called all my siblings and their husbands and wives came and the moment he passed was when all the husbands and wives had fallen asleep and the only people awake and around him were his five children and he passed when we were all around him so that's what his soul chose but I know other souls feel more comfort when their child is not there so yes there there was a relief there was a relief that okay you know because you're waiting for it right and you don't know when it's going to happen and then it's finally happened and there, there was definitely a sense of, of guilt for me about like saying, okay, he's like, he's finally gone. And, but I didn't mean it like he's finally gone. Um, I meant like it, it, it happened and he, he, he passed, he passed on. And um, I'm not a big fan of being miserable. I, I, I just, I don't like misery. I, it's just, I think it's stupid. Mm-hmm. And so I think my friends and some of my family were like, oh, Dan, like, you must be so mis-. like even and I get like our friends, they love us so much and they want the best around times with like his birthday or my birthday or holidays. My friends, oh, you must be so miserable and missing him so much. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I get mad sometimes. and. The day after his, um, uh, or two, I believe it was two days after his funeral, I went to the beach. Okay. I went to the beach. And my family was like, good for you. You deserve that. Like, you've been with him, taking care of him for so long. You deserve to go to the beach and, like, get drunk if you get drunk. I, I didn't. But, <laughs> like, go to the beach and have a good time. <laughs> and 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 sometimes that's what... When we do that, we feel like we should be miserable. You know what? Screw yeah. that. We don't have to be miserable. We can be thankful and we can still be filled with, like, we're still here. We're still living. We, we are still filled with life. Yeah. And yes. I believe we, we should be able to live that. Yeah. Yeah. And people do feel like that. Like, if we're happy, then we're not honoring that person that died. And that's so not true because if you ask that person, would you like me to be happy? Of course they want you to be happy, but yeah, people feel like if you're happy, you're not honoring that who they were. It like, it doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) It so reminded me, Dan, like within a month after his, well, within a couple of weeks of his passing, I had a major retreat. I had to run in the gold coast And it was a huge thing that I needed to deliver a couple of weeks after his passing. And then when the retreat was over, I I had it in me that I just needed to dance because I had so much energy inside me that needed to be released and I Mm love dancing. And I haven't been to a club for years and years. I had no desire to go to a club. But Christian and I went to a club 
We were yeah. the first ones there. How funny. I've never been to a club that was empty before. <laughs> so we were the first ones there, right? And they had all my music, you know, all the 80s music. And I danced and danced and danced and danced for literally hours. And I was, I put up a few photos up on social media. And then the next day I took it off yeah. because I thought, People are going to see this and they're going to think that I'm not missing my dad and that I'm not sad that my dad's passed. And I started to feel like embarrassed that I had taken these photos and that I had this incredible night. And so I deleted everything and took everything down because you're right, in terms of society and an expectation, we are expected to react in a certain way. And yet many, many years ago, because I read a channeled book about how it used to be thousands of years ago, people were born with the expectation and excitement that one day they would die. They yeah. had this completely different perspective on death because it meant they were going back home. Yeah. And so they were like celebrating as they were getting closer and every day was one day closer yeah. <laughs> to getting back home. And children were taught that. And so we have, we don't have that. Right. We have this, this program that says it, this is so devastating when a soul passes. And you know what, Eleni, I remember when you posted those things. I remember that. And I remember seeing that and thinking, didn't she just have like a significant loss? Not in a judgy way, <laughs> but exactly what you said, which is the reason why you took it down, was what I was thinking. And then when I experienced that, you didn't pop up in my mind saying like that. I, I didn't connect the dots at all. But it wasn't until I experienced that that I could fully understand. Like, I need to I need to go do something that I feel like I need to do. And for me, it was go to the beach. Yeah. Um, I do want, there is a funny story, though, that um, the last thing my dad ate was coconut cream pie. And one of my one of my best friends, she brought it over to him. And because um, uh, the night before he went into the hospice facility, he um, uh, he rallied. So because he knew that he was finally going to be at rest. He got up, he's like walking without his walker, he's eating. So the last thing he ate was coconut cream pie. So I tell my friend, you killed my dad with coconut cream pie. And <laughs> and it's my dad's sense of humor. Like he would laugh at that. And I went to the restaurant where we got the coconut cream pie because it's really good coconut cream pie. And they're like, hey, Dan, we heard about your dad. We're so sorry to hear about your dad. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And they're like, how'd he die? And I said, your coconut cream pie. <laughs> and these people, in the, the owner of the restaurant was mortified. And then I like started laughing. And, he, and he's like, are you joking? I'm like, no, it was the last thing he ate before he died. But at least, at least it was on the good. And so we, we have the joke that my friend brought him the coconut cream pie, which killed him. <laughs> And so, so is this a dessert that's normal in the States? I have never heard yes. the word coconut cream pie ever. You what the hell is it? No, Eleni, we what need to that? send you some. Oh, I my gosh. Send her some. Please do. Dan, next time I see you at the next conference, you're getting coconut cream pie. <laughs> so for my dad's oh my birthday every year now, I make um, pineapple upside down cake because that was his favorite thing his favorite like dessert so I make a pineapple upside down cake in honor of him 
and then my friend brings over coconut cream pie, and it is I'm it's good. Google it as soon as this is over. I'm oh, going to Google so it. Like, what does this thing even look like? <laughs> and I remember when I went to um, I went to Melbourne and I went with Michael DeShallet and we hung out, Lenny. And I remember there was something else called a cream something that's in Australia, and it's a pastry. It's a pastry, and it's um, cream puff. Cream. It's not a cream puff. It's like it's a layered dessert, and it has like cream in the middle and almost like phyllo dough. That I'm not. I'll and, and it's funny because Michael vanilla just called slice? me. The slice, yes, the a slice. Vanilla, vanilla, vanilla slice. slice. That's what it is. Vanilla custard slice in the middle, not cream. Yeah, custard, custard in the yeah. middle. Yes. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yay! I love. I love that these different nuances. Can I just ask? I'm very interested. You know, you taught us about. You know, will talk to us about your different perspectives in the passing of your father. But what's what's it something that you've done that's different since then? What's how are you doing life differently since your father has passed? So I set up a lot more boundaries and I'm a lot more honest with people. <laughs> so I feel like going through that experience taught me to grow a set a little bit more. And um, mm-hmm. and as far as also what I do, um, it's it's more of like what I don't do. I don't feel like I'm in this state of urgency to get back to people as soon as possible. And because like, why? And I just, I look at life so differently where I'm like, why am I going to do that? And I, even before he passed, but now more so now I'm 36 years old. And I used to tell people when I was like 33, I'm 33, I'm a 33 year old man. I don't have to do what I don't want to do. And if I'm going to go someplace where I think I'm going to be miserable, why am I going to go and put myself through that misery? And it showed me that life is so short that why, why put yourself into situations that you're going to be so miserable in that you have to force a smile. And that's that. So it's a a lot of it is what I don't do. (laughs) And I do my very best to live in like a get to space of life and I don't, I still see some individual clients, but I don't see them like I used to. And I it really working with my dad, it changed the way I work with people. It changed how I work with it, changed who I work with. And so I can do more things I feel like I get to do, like this podcast. Like I feel like I get to do this. I don't feel like I'm obligated to do this whatsoever. And I'll tell you both that if I didn't want to, I I would say no, or I wouldn't respond. And Sometimes, and sometimes too, I get busy and I get inundated and I forget things. And that's sometimes why I don't respond. So I don't want people to think that, oh, if I don't respond to things, it's because I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do them. Sometimes I get busy and I forget. Um, <laughs> but this is things like this are things I feel like I really get to do. And I have the space for that. And I have the time for that. And, and it's about creating space for that. Um, as far as like specific activities go, I'll have to think about that one a little bit more. Yeah, well, I think that your response is very telling. It's about letting go. Yeah. Because I, I feel that's what's happened with me too. It's a little bit, all about letting go, letting go of the things that we think we have to do, yep. but letting go of the to-do list, letting go of the, the people that we think we need to be around, letting go of the activities that we think we need to do, letting go of the goals that we think we have to have. I believe that spiritual growth is all about letting go. 
So yeah. I think you nailed it. You don't have to think it about is. it anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. And I, what I see in you, the change in you since your father passed away is openness and vulnerability that you, uh, you, you've, you've just opened up as a, as Huge, a whole yeah. new person that I've seen since that. Thank experience. you for saying that. Thank you for saying that and, and for noticing that because that is something where I have conversations with friends who they teach a lot about business and a lot about strategy. And sometimes when we, when we teach certain things, we do so in a way that is too perfect. And I mm. like to consider myself very imperfect and sometimes to a fault. Sometimes I am genuine to a fault and um or authentic to sometimes i think i'm too authentic and um and but that's why people gravitate towards me that's why they grab like that's what like there's there're not many people that are in a professional world that i know of who would share stories like this and get vulnerable or not stories they're not stories experiences like this mm -hmm. and i just want people to know that there's like a human side to us and that is, I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. And as so, I hear you speaking, like, what is too authentic? To me, there's too authentic, right? It's beautiful. So question. Right? As, what is that? What is too I, authentic? As I said that, I looked at both of your faces. I'm like, oh, I struck a nerve there. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. I, you know, I, there are some people that their authenticity it seems too disingenuine where there are some people that i know in this business where they are authentic or they play authentic to get the attention or to get the the um how can i say that the following i guess and some mm. people are like authentic to a fault but it's not real authenticity though it's it comes off as complaining and I don't ever want to be perceived as like that guy that just complains. That's why when I'm sharing things, I always do my very best to share a lesson or something that I learned. Mm -hmm. So if I went through it, here's how I went through it. Maybe you can learn something about how I went through it. And maybe you learn that's not how I would want to go through it. Like I wouldn't go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't eat coconut cream pie. <laughs> like take away whatever you want to take away from it. But even if it's by listening to you, I, I now know what I don't want to do. And some people I posted something the other day. We're not everybody it's okay to not be everybody's cup of tea. There are many people in this world that do not like me. And I'm totally fine with that. I cannot so, believe that. <laughs> you should look There's at some no of my way. Facebook comments I get. I do not believe that, Dan. You're the kind of person that everybody loves. Thank you. I appreciate Hands that. Hands down. Hands down. But it's interesting what you just said there. You said that you think that people that are playing on authenticity to get followers, and I think that that is what, what you've just said there is gold because that's all about intention. A hundred percent. So what is the intention of me being authentic? So what was the intention of you crying here today? It was because you were really feeling those tears. You were really feeling that sadness, and you just – you just allowed yourself to feel. But if the intention was to achieve followers or to for people to like you, then is that really being authentic anyway? Right. Yeah, I'm I agree. Like what that's not really authentic anyway, right? Because authentic is just that true 
sense of self inside. I'm so glad you you both said this because I had someone that saw my keynote, uh, one of my keynotes that came up to me. And I, I, I do sometimes cry in my keynotes when I talk about my dad, because it is a really sad, it can be a really sad thing for me. And I'm, I'm like still kind of working through it. So I had done a keynote and someone saw my keynote and I cried in the keynote. And, um, and this person came up to me and said, that's a really good shtick. I'm going to cry in the next presentation I do. And that, that, that's, a, that, that's a great way, a great way to, get, to win people over. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm just sitting here. I'm thinking like, you, like that's, that's, what I, that's what rubs me the wrong way sometimes. When people do things like that just to, to um, you know, they think it's a shtick. And it's not. And I did not plan on coming on here and crying. In fact, I told myself today, I'm like, do not cry. Do not cry. And, and I, I was thinking to myself, like, Dan, d like, don't cry on this. Like, you're past it. Everything, like, e everything's fine. Don't cry. Why well, say well, don't cry? I well, I was say <laughs> and Dan, you made me cry. So, you, you... <laughs> Dan, we always ask our guests this, and we'd love to know, what does it mean to you? Because our podcast is called Soul Sisters Get Real. What does it mean to you to get real? Oh my gosh, what we were just talking about authenticity. That is a big hot topic for me. And what Lenny said about intention, I play my entire life based on intention. And I think when you when you have the right intentions out there, it allows you to get real. But for me, it's all about authenticity. Um, I will say the only thing I'm not really authentic with is when, like, if you saw my setup right now, I have, like, the right lighting and the right microphones and everything like that. But sometimes even when I post on social media, I don't use all these filters or anything like that. But I'll take the picture 42 times to make sure I like it. Because if <laughs> I if I don't like it, um, then I, I want to put things out there that I feel comfortable about and that I like. Because as much as it's for other people, it's also for me, too. And so I want to make sure I'm putting things out there for, for me that I like too. That's for me. That's what it means to be real is to get real is to, to be, be authentic and to show that vulnerable side. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and open with us and sharing that part of you that isn't always easy to share. It's, I mean, we have to learn, I've learned, we have to learn how to be vulnerable because it doesn't come naturally for us. It doesn't. So and these are these are life lessons that as we go through life and we experience loss and we experience birth and we experience love and we experience heartbreak they're all things that we need to accept that are part of life and the more we try and resist them the more sometimes we get caught in that avoidance yeah yes well thank you so much for being here with us today it was a great conversation it was a pleasure and as always i say this at the end of every interview be well do good be true to who you are and happy healing. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you loved it. And if you did, subscribe to the podcast. We would so love it if you write us a review and share it with your friends. And remember, always connect to your truest essence. And choose love. We'll see you next time.